0: At the end of the day, GRC is something organizations do. It's not something they buy. I get frustrated when an organization comes in and tells me, we just bought GRC, now come and tell us how to do GRC. That's putting the cart before the horse. What are you trying to accomplish? And from there, can we establish what technology is going to help us accomplish that?
1: I'm Kelly Spikowski, and this is GRC and Me, a podcast where I interview industry thought leaders in governance, risk, and compliance on hot topics, industry-specific challenges, trends, and more to learn about their methods, solutions, and outlook in the space. Today, we have Michael Rasmussen with us to talk about all things GRC in general. I'm really excited to have him here. He is known as the father of GRC. Michael, welcome.
0: It's a pleasure to be here.
1: I'm super excited to have you on because you are the father of GRC. Can you give me a little bit more about how that came to be and how you got involved in this industry?
0: Well, I, there's a dichotomy because there's what GRC is, but then there's also how I came to formulate GRC because GRC is much broader than technology. But as far as the GRC acronym, oh, back in February 2002, I was working at Forrester Research and spent seven years at Forrester, now 12 years on my own. Uh, But uh, in 2002, on a cold, snowy day in the Chicago office of Forrester, I just got done with a a briefing on a solution that can map risk and controls and policies. And I thought, wow, this is great. When I was an IT security consultant uh, in the Chicago-Milwaukee markets, I was looking for something just like this. Um, And so there's a whole market for this. And so what do we call it? And and at that point, you know, I thought, well, it has governance aspects of, you know, understanding what our objectives are and the risks to those objectives and compliance obligations. And so labeled it GRC, thus creating the GRC market. Now... What's important to understand is GRC is more than technology. Uh, in fact, every organization does GRC today, whether they call it GRC, ERM, IRM, XYZ, ABC. Everybody's got some approach to GRC, whether they use the acronym or not. Uh, you're not going to find an organization that says we don't govern the organization. We can care less about risk or compliance. Every organization has you know, some approach to governance, risk management, and compliance. And so to me, what's important to understand is that while there's a market for GRC technology, At the end of the day, GRC is something organizations do. It's not something they buy. I get frustrated all the time when, Mm. you know, like an insurance company called me in and said, we just bought GRC. You know, come and tell us how to do GRC. That's (laughs) like putting the cart before the horse. It's like uh, you're doing GRC already today in some aspect. What are you trying to uh, achieve? What are you trying to improve? How do you want to make things more efficient, effective and agile? And, And then let's talk about how to improve that uh because there, there's some foundation of governance risk management compliance whether it's reactive firefighting to more structured and integrated every organization's doing it in some way right now
1: yeah that's interesting so when they say help me do grc do you think they're actually referring to how do i operationalize this because traditionally we've just had you know becky or one you know one person actually owning grc for the organization
0: oh well, the the challenge is we've had multiple owners of grc and it reminds me of the Winchester Mystery House in San Jose, California, a sprawling mansion that was built in the 1800s. It cost $5.5 million to build in the 1800s. That's one expensive house today when you calculate inflation. It had uh, it was built over 38 years and had about 140 different builders. Uh, at the end of the day, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's got 10,000 windows. It's got doors that open to walls or 20-foot drops, staircases that go up or down to nowhere, skylights that are in floors instead of ceilings. That's most organizations' GRC programs today. Over the last 38 years, they've had 140 different builders of GRC in different departments doing their own little thing and manual processes or point solutions without thinking big picture of how this should be designed. The Winchester Mystery House had no design, no blueprint, no architect, but had 147 different builders. You know, that's exactly where organizations are at with GRC in a lot of cases is they've had all these different builders without stepping back and saying, how can we design this?
1: I love that analogy. I I like that return on investment, too. I think I'll run with that. (laughs) Um, That's a good segue to, um, you know, talking about how GRC is really moving from a nice-to-have into a priority for a lot of organizations. What do you see going on there? and Why do you think that's happening? Uh,
0: A lot of it is coming from multifaceted environments. Um, There's a lot of regulatory change, changing laws, rules, regulations, enforcement actions. Uh, It's not just the regulation itself, but it can be the enforcement of that regulation. Uh, You know, global financial services firms are dealing with 216 regulatory change events every business day coming from 905 regulators around the world. That's just one aspect. We're not even talking healthcare and all these other industries. So lots of regulatory change. There's lots of risk change, changing geopolitical risks all around us, changing economic risks, changing technology risks in society and industry demands. But at the same time, the business itself is changing. You have changing strategy and processes, changing employees, um, people that move from one department to another, and people that enter and exit the organization, uh, third-party risks of changing vendors and suppliers and outsourcers and service providers and contractors and consultants and temporary workers, where half of our insiders are no longer employees, but they're third parties, uh, and then it, the whole area of mergers and acquisitions and how that impacts the organization. The, the, the challenge there, and answer your question, is we have to keep all that change in sync, now, I can devote a ton of experts to be knowledgeable about regulatory change, but that doesn't make me compliant as the business changes and I'm out of compliance. I've got to keep the business change in sync with the risk change in sync with the regulatory change. And that's the challenge.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, great point. So um, what we've found is a lot of organizations who are looking or maybe uh, kicking the tires with uh, solutions to support GRC uh, and a change really in GRC, they up until this point have been essentially keeping the lights on. Why is that not a fit anymore? And I think you kind of just said it um, because all of these moving p- pieces are not in sync. But can you elaborate more on why an organization should really ditch the spreadsheets and email and and have a strategy around GRC? Uh,
0: partly to answer that first off, it's because organizations are distributed, dynamic and disrupted. You know, we've distributed operations across third-party relationships around the world and all these different uh, interactions and transactions, uh, and it's very dynamic. distributed, and, and it's dynamic and constantly changing. That is just referencing on regulatory change, risk change, and business change, which leads to constant disruption as well. In that context, when you're trying to manage things with a lot of manual processes, things slip through the cracks. Things get missed and overlooked. And then we get into hot waters. Uh, I, I was talking to one uh, bank in which you know they went to more of a technology approach uh, for defensible GRC because the, the Federal Reserve had come in and said, you're not going to pass your next regulatory exam if you continue to manage GRC and document spreadsheets and emails. We want to see a complete record, uh, audit trail, system of record. What was assessed? What date and time? Who assessed it? If somebody came back a week later or two weeks later to try to paint a rosier picture to get the organization out of trouble or you know bypass the regulator, they, they want to see that date, time stamp of, of that complete audit trail and history of all those different interactions on the assessments and controls and policies. Documents, spreadsheets, and emails don't get you that system of record and audit trail that the regulators and auditors are starting to look for. On top of that, you know, it's around efficiency, effectiveness, and agility. How can I make my processes for related to GRC more efficient, time-saved, dollar-saved, more effective, being accurate, complete, thorough, as well as agile and responsive to a dynamic business environment? Uh, you know, one organization I was talking to was spending 200 FTE hours building an end-of-year report for the board of directors on compliance. And it now takes them less than a minute. But if it takes you 200 FTE hours to build a report, you're certainly not agile. Hey, and, yeah. and, and, and if you're trying to find trends and patterns and see that where things are going wrong, and if you're doing that once a year and it takes you 200 hours to build that report, things are slipping through the cracks and, and big issues are going unnoticed. If you don't have that at the, at your fingertips, that's an issue. That's a challenge in organizations. We, we need that visibility. And documents, spreadsheets, and emails don't get us there. They, they, they don't allow us for that ongoing monitoring and instant understanding of what's going on in the environment and being able to identify key risk indicators and trends uh, that, that can be monitored on a minute-by-minute, second-by-second basis.
1: Great point. So for the organizations who are now realizing, okay, we're ready to take on GRC, they're past this point, and they're looking at how they can be more strategic in a GRC strategy, there's a lot of different frameworks out there. How do they decide what framework is the best fit? And then how do they actually take a technology, um, operationalize it, and then uh, build a strategy around that?
0: Great question. There are a lot of frameworks. And and frameworks are like the human body. You look at the human body, you've got multiple systems involved. You've got the skeletal system, the muscular system, the, the nervous system, uh, the respiratory system, the digestive system. You know, that's like frameworks. There's frameworks for, for that, that can be modeled to different parts of like the body of, with different components of it. Uh, you know, you've got risk frameworks. You've got compliance frameworks and audit frameworks. Uh, And and so all those come together to help form our GRC program. There's no one framework or standard out there that is a perfect fit for every organization. Uh, And so it's about taking these frameworks and applying them to your organization, modifying them um, so they, they make sense for your organization. And and like the human body has different systems, we might bring together different frameworks to build and and compose that. Now, uh, the sort of Uber framework to sort of manage all this that I like is the OSEC GRC capability model. Now, I helped contribute to that, so I've got uh, an interest in that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when we built version one and we're on version three of the GRC capability model now, we looked at over 100 different, you know, frameworks and things out there from Australia, New Zealand, 4360 risk management standard, which became ISO 31000 to the ISO 27000 standard. ISO 9000, COSO ERM, COSO internal control, COBIT, you name it. We looked at a lot of different frameworks and standards. what are some of the common governance, risk, and compliance processes and activities across all these frameworks? And from there, we came up with all these components and elements under each component to be able to manage that. The existing version three includes the, the learn, where we understand the environment, the internal and external context, stakeholders and culture of the organization. From the aligned, where we identify risk we and compliance and obligations, uh, and, and we assess that and we define activities And from there, we move into the perform and where we um, document controls, we implement policies, communication and training programs and hotlines and incentives for reporting issues and be able to manage that process. And then we monitor where we provide audit and assurance and validation of the program. But to me, the GRC capability model is the good Uber framework to encompass all of them. But uh, really, it it provides an integration. I I describe the GRC capability models being really a Rosetta Stone of frameworks. Uh, right. That that sort of provides some of the common eighty percent commonality between different frameworks, but th- the other frameworks are still needed. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of more of a translation stone.
1: That makes total sense. So, do the decisions need to be made on the framework and the methodology before the technology? What do you recommend there? Because I think a lot of organizations really struggle. They say well, we haven't quite decided how we want to run our program. We don't know what methodology is a best fit. We haven't decided on a framework. So we're just not ready for technology. Do you agree with that? And what's your advice there?
0: It depends. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there, there's always, you know, little factors and things that, that can influence that. Yeah. I, um, To me, I mean, we can talk about an enterprise GRC type strategy where multiple, multiple departments are coming together to cohesively look in how we approach this. Or we could talk about, you know, very specific department needs, which are easier to get our hands around. If we don't have that enterprise GRC strategy in place, how can I solve my department problems? And what type of solution can I pick out there from a technology perspective that can not only solve my department problems, but could eventually be leveraged for other needs across other departments as well? Uh, Because if all I'm looking at is my department, I might pick something that couldn't be leveraged with other departments and might limit me in the future. Uh, and so looking at what could possibly happen is important. Now, obviously, the best point of reference is being able to understand and, and will be able to get build that collaboration across departments so that you can select the right framework and technology to fit that. Ultimately, it's good to understand what framework you're going to have so the technology can be adapted to it. As I, I mentioned earlier, I get frustrated when an organization comes in and tells me, we just bought GRC, now come and tell us how to do GRC. That's yeah. putting the cart before the horse. What are you trying to accomplish And from there, can we establish what technology is going to help us accomplish that and what frameworks?
1: Great advice. What trends are you seeing and what do you you think those trends indicate? That's a pretty broad question, but I'm ready for the broad answer.
0: (laughs) Well, there's growing regulatory concerns across industries and changes in enforcement actions and increased enforcement on that. Um, a lot of uh, geopolitical unrest and understanding—you know what's happening in the world right now with uh, different—you know—political regimes and changes and shifts and different trajectories of different countries and things like that. And what does that mean to a dynamic and distributed business environment that goes around the world? You talk about Brexit in the United Kingdom and things, or import and exports and sanctions, or whatever it might be. There, there's a lot of things influencing that. There's uh, a lot of shifts and in things internally uh, on greater responsibilities and oversight. Compliance is a function that's maturing rapidly in organizations where it used to be buried in the legal department. Now, corporate compliance more and more is reporting outside of legal in its own entity in the organization. We're seeing trends there. Internal audits being challenged to be able to do more than just traditional internal controls or financial reporting type audits uh, to where we see more and more IT audits over years. But now operational audits uh, out in business operations and even third party audits. There's a lot of different parts of the organization that are very dynamic and shifting and changing right now.
1: Awesome. What success metrics should be priorities for GRC teams when they're implementing GRC technology? What recommendations do you have for achieving those
0: outcomes? I break it down to those three areas of value, efficiency, effectiveness, and agility. The efficiency metric is time saved, money saved. You know, before, you know, it was taking me this much time and effort and cost me this much money to do things related to GRC. Now I've reduced it to this figure. Um, Effectiveness, you know, how how more accurate, complete, thorough, reliable is our GRC related information? Uh, How timely is it? That also ties into the third element, the agility. Mm -hmm. Um, How can we keep up with the changing and dynamic regulatory and risk environment and business environment and stay current with the changing business? On top of that, agility is also the ability to be responsive. How can we quickly identify issues and resolve them before they become bigger issues?
1: I love that. The effectiveness piece, do you think that's the hardest one for people to get their finger on? Because maybe they don't have those data points, even you know, if they're starting a GRC program from scratch?
0: Um, uh, effectiveness can be challenging, but uh, I find that a lot of organizations, it's the efficiency mm-hmm. piece. That, that They just haven't measured the actual... Human capital cost of GRC in their organization. As I mentioned, the one organization that was spending 200 FTE hours after they really dug into it to build one report for the board of directors. There's multiple reports. That was just one report on an annual basis for the board of directors on compliance. 200 FTE hours, and now it takes them less than a minute. Yeah. You can you can build out a, a value proposition from there. You know, a firm I was just talking to was spending, you know, their competitor spends six FTEs managing their third party relationships and suppliers. What they spend this organization with one FTE, you know, because they have an automated process, you know, six employees and you calculate full time equivalent benefits and salary and things out there against one employee with technology that can enable that same amount of suppliers, two different companies, different contrast.
1: That's huge. So those are huge numbers. It comes full circle back to that Winchester House analogy and all the time and resources spent on that. And you have people that own little bits of it. And so the work gets really spread around and kind of lost in the seams. That's interesting. So in a recent GRC 2020 piece, you contrasted Agile GRC solutions with legacy players how do you define Agile, and what do you think is behind the emergence?
0: Great question. Um, the emergence is technology that's evolved. I've been monitoring this GRC technology market since 2002. So we're 2019. That's, you know, 17 years now. Technology is not the same today as it was in 2002. No way. <laughs> we have a lot of different technology. And so some of these legacy BMS they cost a lot of money to implement. Um, I was doing an analysis of the different RFPs I've interacted on, and found that those that Gartner and Forrester put up in the upper right, in the leaders uh, quadrant of the wave and magic quadrant, um, they typically have a ratio of every dollar you spend on software license, like subscription license, you're spending 3 to $5 in implementation and build out. That's expensive. And those that are outside that, it's more of a ratio of 0.5 to 1.5. And so I'm not talking management consulting. I'm just talking about configuration and build out of the platform. You know, technologies change significantly, and the more established, you know, legacy BMS players are very costly to implement and own in the the organization, and organizations are starting to catch up on that and understand that there's more agile technology available in the the market. The way I define agile GRC technologies, uh, one is the user interface. How intuitive is it to use? How willing and engaging is it not only for the second line of defense, the risk and compliance and security officers and managers, as well as the third line, the audit professionals, but also the frontline employees, the first line of defense? How easy is it for them to use and read policies, go through training, take assessments, report issues and things? You know, so one element of Agile is the usability and intuitiveness. Uh, another piece of agility is the ability of the the solution to be easily configured and adapted to the organization without custom coding that breaks on upgrades or takes six months to make a change with a you know a certified expert that costs one hundred thirty thousand dollars a year uh, to to make that change. You know how agile is the the solution itself to be adapted to the organization rapidly. And then then scalability of it, too, is important. You know, can the solution scale with me and help me through mergers and acquisitions as the business evolves and changes? That becomes important.
1: Yeah, the adaption to the business, I think, is huge, which I think gets lost in conversation a little bit. The ability to bring the business users who are actually close to the needs and the requirements regulatory business and otherwise, bringing them closer to the technology and actually giving them control over how that's configured, I think is huge rather than passing it off to an IT resource who might not necessarily know um, the nuances of the needs of the business. It reduces a lot of friction there. What are the differentiating factors among GRC solutions that will establish industry leadership positions versus ones that won't?
0: First and foremost, to me, today in this agile market that we need is the total cost of ownership. What is the cost not only to acquire the solution, but to actually implement and own and maintain the solution? There's a LinkedIn post out there from last August that compared, you know, the um, implementation, I'm not going to name names here, but of one of the major GRC BMS platforms that Gartner loves a lot to the lyrics of the song Hotel California. Mm. That basically you're trapped and can't get out. <sighs> you know, they, they, they said after spending $500,000 in software licensing mm-hmm. and $2 million in implementation three years later, they're just getting some basic functionality working. That's not agile. Right. I mean, today's technology for GRC needs to be rapidly implemented and, and molded to the organization to be able to bring value and return to the organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, the, that's critical.
1: Yeah, the evolving piece, I think, is you hit it on the nose. I hear that very commonly. People are wary of committing to a piece of a technology because they feel as though they're locked in to that, you know, initial configuration at that point which Agile solutions are now uh, really unlocking that for people. So really great point. Do you foresee massive data breaches to continue? And if so, how will they shape the future of GRC?
0: Uh, Data breaches are definitely going to continue. It's just the complexity of the world that we live in. I, I mean, you go back a couple years ago to the Target breach, one of the largest credit card breaches in history. The doorway into that was an HVAC vendor. A heat and air conditioning vendor had a connection to the Target Network for Environmental Monitoring. And a hacker broke into the heating and air conditioning vendor and was able to compromise point-of-sale systems across targets. That's the the interconnectedness. Now, the heating and air conditioning vendor is not a traditional IT vendor, but they're being connected to the network and, and, and we're given access. It could be anybody, mm. a supplier, vendor, outsourcer, service provider. Our risks are multiplying with a lot of these third-party relationships. And over half of data breaches are not with traditional employees, but they're with third-party relationships now. And now we have the concern with the Internet of Things that the, the next major breach can come from the microwave in the break room that's connected to the Internet.
1: Right. Exactly. Medical devices, multifunction devices often get overlooked. These are all new things that are being folded into the risk profile. So, yep. yes, it's fascinating. And I agree with you. I, I don't think it's going to slow down. I think it will just increase. How do you expect the regulatory landscape in the U.S. to evolve in the coming years and especially in light of GDPR and the California Consumer Privacy Act?
0: That's a loaded question (laughs) that can get into political ideology and things, too. And and, uh,
1: we don't need to go into politics, but (laughs) but yeah, Yeah, well,
0: what am I? But one thing that happens year over year with, with whatever administration is, is regulations and things grow. I mean, one of my favorite annual reads is the Ten Thousand Commandments that comes out of uh, the Competitive Enterprise Institute, formerly the Cato Institute, on that, you know, just that the actual impact and cost of regulation at the U.S. federal government, not even talking about state and local governments. There's a lot that happens and changes. Now California tends to be a trendsetter. So what happens in California, other states pick up upon and then eventually might get implemented in federal uh, regulation because organizations say, oh, that didn't want regulation before, say, now you got to do something because now we have, you know, 48 of the 50 states doing something here in different ways. We need consistency. And so, uh, you know, when you look at mandatory disclosure laws that came out, you know, a decade ago, California started that. And then within two years, it was like 48 states had similar laws. You know, now with California's Consumer Protection Act, which, you know, is very GDPR-like from the EU GDPR um, uh, type regulation, you're going to see other states pick up on that, too. And, And at some point, organizations are going to say, this is a mess. The federal government's got to step up and have oversweeping regulation on this so it's consistent.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think consumers are really picking up on privacy and they're starting to dial into that and, you know, start to question some of the companies that they do business with they want to know about their data they want to know is it being protected they want to know how it's being used because of all the you know exposure that's happened through breaches like Target and you know what's going on with Facebook and other social media platforms privacy is top of mind so whether it's coming via regulation it's certainly coming from consumers they're demanding better practices with their personal data Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me on GRC and Me. It's been a great podcast. Your expertise in this space because of the complexity is just really, um, really great to have on. And I know my audience will really appreciate it. So thank you so much for joining me. And I hope you'll join me again.
0: Certainly will. Thank you.